Christ, and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to be united in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it the best from Romans 15, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We conclude our study of the fifth chief part of Luther's small catechism with a term that is often confusing to people, the office of the keys. Are we talking about a physical key? Um, is this a key that no one really knows about or given only to pastors, only to the church? How does this all fit together? And mostly, is it actually in the word of God? This is an important study for us as we understand uh, the work of the church, the calling of pastors, and also the priesthood of all believers. So open up your catechism, open up your Bibles, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome back Pastor Greg Truey of Trinity Lutheran Church in Colcamp, Missouri. Pastor Trui, welcome back to Concord Matters. Thanks for having me. Pastor, let's just get right to it. We are studying the Office of the Keys, which is in Luther's small catechism with explanation. Now, a reminder to our listeners, Pastor Trui was on just a few weeks ago to begin our study on confession. And this is an important connection as we speak about the Office of the Keys. So we are on page 27 of Luther's small catechism, which is from the Concordia Publishing House version from 2017, page 27. Now, Pastor, this is an important part of all well, the small catechism, but clearly on confession to study, because if you, it's be best if you understand what we study today that helps us understand the rest. And why is that? So it's interesting. Uh, in the fifth chief part of the catechism, it seems like we have a different arrangement than the other parts. What I mean by that is in the Ten Commandments, we get the biblical text and then the meanings. Uh, when we get to the Lord's Prayer, same thing, biblical text, then the meanings. Holy baptism. We start with Christ's institution defining for us what holy baptism is, and then come the other questions about what are the benefits and, and what does this indicate, right? The same thing is true for the sacrament of the altar. But for confession and the keys, we have the questions about confession before we get to the biblical passage where Christ has instituted the office of the keys. So it's kind of a strange situation, but I think what we want to encourage our hearers to have in mind is that in order to have a full understanding of, uh, of, the conf of confession, and absolution. We want to know its founding, its fundamental instituting passages, which are given to us then in the question, what is the office of the keys? And also that definition. So um, this is important. And I, so like what I would say simply is that the office of the keys 
is sort of the theology out of which flows the practice of confession and absolution. And that is important because last week, uh, the Reverend Dr. Timothy Raywald was on to go through the short form of confession. And there might be a certain amount of confusion of, okay, I've gone through the practical, which we need clearly. Um, but it's kind of like, where does this come from again? Because often what I've heard, and we spoke about this last time um, we were on, mm -hmm. is people get very confused that this guy stands up in the front and he forgives sins. And this is exactly like the, the paralytic brought to the feet of Jesus. Who can forgive sins but God, we will say. And so if we don't use a heavy amount of scripture, then we are really in trouble because people are just going to see it as some kind of um, power play or, uh, you know, I'm higher than you because I'm saying this, or you're trying to say that you're God. Um, Pastor, any ref other reflections before we dig in with the first two questions? Yeah, that's that's so true, Brady, that we, we must make sure that our practices flow right out of Scripture so we can demonstrate that this is actually rooted in, in the words of Jesus and it, and, it, and it surely is. And that was Luther's concern, too, that and, uh, that whether we're talking about baptism or confession, the sacrament of the altar, that we're, we're getting our understanding of it from the, the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we can demonstrate that with the Office of the Keys. And I would encourage our listeners that if you are a member of a, a Lutheran Church in Missouri Synod congregation and you have a hymnal in front of you at a, the worship service, just look at this. This is what Luther's concern was and our concern that everything points to the Word of God. So if you look at the divine services or the prayer offices in the front of your hymnal, that everything is connected to the Word of God. It isn't just that we like the tune or that I did it when I was a kid, that guess what it is actually from the Bible, which is kind of cool. I don't, I don't know, Pastor, I, I wanted to share this, that there are many times where um, I, I would be reading the scriptures and when I got older, and then I would remember, hey, I remember saying that one time. When did I say that? I said, oh, I said that in church yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, and over and over that it's on our lips and obviously the Lord places it on our hearts. Any, any thoughts on that before we dig yeah, in? Yeah, I think this is a wonderful addition in Lutheran service book is that in the liturgy, we're actually provided the citations where the text of the liturgy comes from. And that, that was not included in, in Lutheran worship or the Lutheran hymnal. While the text was often the same, uh, we actually get it right there. So the, the, the person in the pew, whether they're a lifelong Lutheran or a visitor, can actually see that the liturgy is simply ordered word of God. Right. And if the spirit of God is working through the word of God, right, well, then the spirit of God is working through the divine liturgy. Well, let's dig into the office of the keys because it is in accord with God's holy word. So the question, once again, is on page 27. What is the office of the keys? The office of the keys is a special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of the re of repentant sinners, but to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they do not repent. Where is this written? This is what St. John the Evangelist writes in chapter 20. The Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone his sins, they are forgiven. 
If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. From John chapter 20, verses 22 to 23. So, Pastor, break that down. This is an authority given to the church. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, authority is a loaded term. Um, and I, it's, it's not a term that I would say is very popular in our day or well understood. So we want to make sure that we, we, we deal with that term a little bit, right? So the Office of the Keys is, is an authority that Christ has given to the church. And what this means that the church has a command from Christ, from one who is over us, right? Christ is the head of the church. Our hearers might think of Matthew 8, when Jesus heals the servant of the centurion. And the centurion comes to Jesus and says, I know that you are a man. I too am a man under authority, he says to Jesus, right? I say, go, and he goes. I say, come, and he go, and he comes, right? And so this idea that, that the divine authority of God has been given to the humanity of Christ Right, the, the the divine nature has been given to the the attributes of the divine have been given to his humanity, so that now for the first time in the history of the world, the authority of God is placed into a human being to carry out, so that he mm. has been given by the Father. Right, this is an authority that he receives from the Father eternally to forgive sins. And he must do it. Well then, this authority, he then also gives to the church. And so the church receives our marching orders, if you will, our holy orders from the one who himself has the authority to give them. And it would be unfaithful for us uh, not to carry them out. <laughs> Or, or to say, well, we know better than the, 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 than Christ who has given us this command. But in fact, so we must carry out the orders he's given us and do what he's given us to do. We must also only do what he's been given, what he's given us to do and not go too far or not take matters into our own hand. But this idea of authority is, is something we want to wrap our mind around that Jesus has this divine authority. He gives it to the church. And, and in fact, again, in, in Matthew 9, when he forgives the sins of the paralytic, right, he only heals him so that the people who ob observed him forgiving him would know that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then they're in awe of him because God has given such authority to men. Now, we see this in John 20. On the evening of Easter, when Jesus goes into a room full of locked disciples and he absolves them and gives them peace, and then says, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Well, how did the Father send him? To forgive the sins of sinners. And that then is what he tasks them with, what he authorizes them to do. 
to forgive anyone his sins. So if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's an authority, in fact, to do two things. To forgive the sins of repentant sinners and also to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they do not repent. And so it's not the office of the key, but the office of the keys. And it is the Lord's desire that both keys would be used. I recently, hey, I recently, ahead, sorry, Pastor, <clears throat> uh, to talk over you, I recently um, made an analogy in Bible class and then in chapel with our kids in school. And I said, you know, I have some keys on my keychain that I have never used, in fact. Mm -hmm. I have a trombone case key. And it's kind of laughable, in fact, that I still have that key on my keychain. I've never locked my trombone case. I don't know why I still carry that key. Maybe our listeners can relate. They have too many keys in their pocket. But the Lord Jesus has given the church two keys, and he intends for us to use both of them. And this and this and this connection of office of the keys is maybe a little bit like you're saying. People have a key fob <laughs> that often I open my garage door to get into my house, and I almost never use a key. But just let's just you know for you our listeners, if you don't know what a key is, you know, look it up <laughs> on Google. Anyways, but the key opens a door and it locks a door. And it's fascinating that two things with that. Number one, these are the words of Jesus, so they do have authority. <laughs> and so yeah. if we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, you know, the only son of God, that then when he speaks, we probably should listen. And then secondly, it really is as simple as you just said. So it's fascinating to me and how we might look at this and go, well, but, 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 but. When it's very clear, what is the church to do? Forgive sins. What is the church to do? Call people to repentance. What if they don't repent? Then you don't forgive them. Why is this such a hard concept for us to grasp our head around? Maybe you don't have a direct answer for that, but let's talk about the struggle because I do find this to be a unique struggle for us when it, words are so clear. Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's probably a, a, a number of reasons. Uh, and at the heart of it, is likely our own fear uh, of, or, or a desire sort of to be loved by the world. And what I mean by that is that the world doesn't understand the love of God. And the world thinks that to love someone means you only say nice things or only say things that sort of encourage them to pursue the things that they already love. So you're only affirming them. Well, Jesus reminds us in the Gospel of Matthew that it's, it's actually the sinful heart that produces all kinds of sinful desires, right? So it's, it's not actually loving for the Lord Jesus to affirm the sinner's sinful desires, and nor has he authorized the church 
to do that either. And so this is difficult because it, it means that the church is actually not authorized and not called to affirm someone in their sin or to encourage them to continue on being comfortable in the sins that can actually bring about their own spiritual death and separate them from the Lord. Uh, Walther makes this clear in his theses on, on law and gospel. You know, if you, if you, thesis six, for example, if you do not preach the law in its full sternness, you're not faithfully distinguishing between law and gospel. Also, if, if you don't preach the gospel in its full sweetness, right? But then he says in, in, in thesis eight, if you preach uh, the law to those in terror, you're misusing the law. They already know their sins. Now we need to give them the gospel. But on the other hand, if you give the gospel to those who are living securely in their sins, you're not properly distinguishing the law and the gospel. Because when we, when we say, uh, well, it's okay, uh, just go ahead. The Lord loves you just the way you are, uh, or something like that. You know, it doesn't matter, right? This is oftentimes the world's response to sin. We're actually just encouraging a person to remain in his or her sin. Now, is it true that the Lord Jesus loves every person? Yes. But does the Lord Jesus desire that a person remain in sin? Not at all. And so, in fact, in Luke 24, what he authorizes the church to proclaim is repentance for forgiveness. And you've, we've covered that under confession, right? There's two parts, mm -hmm. contrition and faith, right? So that the, a confession is to, to confess your sins and receive absolution. But we give that absolution to those who are actually confessing their sins and not those who are denying their sins. And that's hard. Right. And who, who at a family gathering, for example, loves to talk about the need for Aunt Millie to repent? <laughs> you know, it's just not something that we think about uh, or want to look at it. But it is important for us as we look at this, that if, if, if part of the Office of the Keys is to forgive repentant sinners, it's good for us to talk, and you actually defined it, um, is what is repentance? Uh, what are you, are you ready to answer that, right? I know you're, you're a smart guy, so you know this, but just want to, the repentance to define is important as well as we look at it um, through the lens of, of a Christ-centered lens. Yeah. So, Pastor, what is repentance? Well, sure. Uh, so, like, it can be defined in different ways, especially with depending on which biblical term you have in mind. So you can think of repentance in the Old Testament idea of, of the Hebrew word shuv, which is to turn from sinful behavior, like a 180 degree turn. So there you're talking about um, behavior, right? Like we're, we do not want to continue in sinful behavior. Or we could use the, the New Testament term, which has more to do with like a change of mind, like to be renewed in your mind. Um, but the, the Augsburg Confession, I think, gives us a really helpful definition in Article 12. It reminds us that 
just like confession has two parts, repentance, properly speaking, has two parts. And I think it is it picks up the Old Testament and the New Testament idea. So the two parts of repentance are first contrition, which is sorrow or terrors striking the conscience through the knowledge of sin. But not just knowledge of sin or terror of conscience, for then we would be leaving the sinner in the place that Judas was left. He knew his sin, but he didn't hear an absolution. He had no hope. He had no promise of the gospel to trust in, which Peter was given, right? Peter and Judas can, committed the same sin. They both had rejected Christ, but Peter is restored through the promise of the gospel, which is faith, which produces faith. And that's, that's the second part of repentance. So contrition and faith, which is born of the gospel, right? And, and, and so a person who's simply either just aware of his sin, but doesn't know Jesus is not yet repentant. We need to give him what he needs, the gospel, but also a person who's refusing to confess his sins doesn't have repentance, right? So if, if you're a pastor or, or a friend or a, of a, or a parent or a, a concerned Christian, this is Matthew 18, and, and you've, and you've uh, sort of gone to a person who, who has been caught in sin or trapped in sin or, or living in sin, and, and you've lovingly shown them where God's word says this is sin, and we can't continue in this, and, and they respond by saying, I'm sorry, I, I just, I don't care, or I don't, I can't believe in a God who would say something like that, or, oh, that's antiquated, you know, you still believe that old rubbish, or something like that, where they're refusing to submit to the authority of God's word and agree that what God says is sin is actually sin, well, we don't have contrition there. We don't have repentance. And in such a case, we cannot then tell that person that they are forgiven. And this is something that is incredibly difficult. So I do, do encourage you, our listeners, to pray for your pastors because there's times this has to happen. A pastor that I know well got to this point with a person and said, you know, when you come to church and I want you to come to church and you don't see what I just said to you as a sin, when I pronounce forgiveness um, in the beginning of service, that's not for you. And this is, and this was not done by him in a way that was like, oh, this is great. I love it. But just the seriousness of what we're talking about in John chapter 20, it seems at times like just this happy story all the time. Hey, forgiveness. Yay. This is so great. Everything is great. But then you, all of us know people who do not repent. And that is more grieving than anything, more joy when there's a repentant sinner in heaven than anything else, right? Over one sinner who repents, but there's more grief when a person does not. But right now, Pastor, we need to take our break. Um, we'll be right back. We are studying uh, the Office of the Keys with Pastor Greg Truly, and we'll be right back. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. 
Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. studying what God's Word has to say about the Office of the Keys with Pastor Greg Truey of Trinity Lutheran Church in Cole Camp, Missouri. Now, Pastor, I want to uh, take a step back to make sure that we have this correct. It says these words, that the Office of the Keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church. Now, this could be misunderstood. At the very least, we want to make sure we're very clear on what that means. So what does it mean he gives it to the church? Is it the church has it and then they hand it to the pastor and then the pastor hands it back when he takes a call or on Saturday when he's watching the football game, he hands it back to the church and the church takes it back? How does this work? Yeah, this what, is, what does that mean? This is this is a very good question, uh, Pastor Finner. And I, I think it we, we must understand what is essential to the church to understand this rightly. So, so the catechism doesn't say that the office of the keys has been given to the pastor, nor does it say that the office of the keys have been given to the people. It says that the office of the keys has been given to the church. But the church, wherever it exists, exists with both the office of the pastor, and the people. So wherever the church is, whether it's two or three gathered in the name of Jesus, or 500 people gathered in the name of Jesus around his word, you have the office of the holy ministry instituted by Christ, and you have Christians who are hearers and receivers of the blessings of God in Christ through the ministry of preaching and the sacraments. And so then what we want to understand, excuse me, is that Christ gives this office of the keys to the church consisting of pastor and people. And then the pastor and the people are called to carry out the keys, to use the keys according to their proper vocation or according to their offices. So the pastor exercises the keys publicly for the benefit of the congregation, of of the people to which he's called to serve as pastor. But here's the thing. The pastor isn't every wife's husband or every child's father. He can't go into the home of every parishioner every time little Johnny talks back to his father or every time a husband has spoken carelessly with his wife. He can't go with Mr. Schmidt when he goes uh, to work as an engineer. No, the, the body of Christ carries the office of the keys with them 
wherever they are called to their specific vocations. And so the husband forgives his wife. The wife forgives her husband. Parents together forgive their children. Children also, by the way, forgive their parents when their parents sin against them. And when any Christian is sinned against, every Christian bears witness to Christ by carrying out the office of the keys and forgiving the sins of those who sin against them. This is what we pray in the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is also what Paul uh, encourages the church to do in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, for example, so that we would be uh, forgiving one another. Also in James chapter 5, um, the whole church is encouraged to confess to one another and forgive one another. So the office of the keys is given to the whole church, but pastors and people then carry out that office specifically according to their calling as either pastor or people. Is that helpful, Pastor Finner? It is, because it can be very misunderstood that the only person that forgives sins are pastors. (laughs) But we want to make sure that we don't make it sound like anybody can in any way at any time without thinking very seriously about what the Office of the Keys actually is. Yeah, Yeah, right. So like if... Uh, again, the family. Think of the, the the Christian family at home on a Tuesday evening, and and uh, children have gotten into it. And so, mom and dad at night, let's just say say this: they got out their Lutheran service book for evening devotions and prayed Compline together. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of Compline, there's this wonderful little order of confession. And dad goes first because dad is leading the devotions. Or if there's no father in the household, then mom will have to go first, right? And, and leads by example. In, so dad confesses his sins. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters. By the way, it's kind of cool when dad calls his own children and his wife, like my brothers and sisters in Christ, mm-hmm. that I have sinned and thought word indeed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. Now, he says that to those who are gathered in the room with him. And they don't respond by saying, sorry, dad, you got to wait till Sunday when you can go to divine service and hear pastor absolve you of your sins. No, they don't do that. They say the almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Amen. They pronounce that his sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ. And then what follows is that they also confess their sins and he does for them what they've done for him. And he forgives them their sins. Why? Because they're Christians, and they are given by God to forgive the sins of those who sin against them. 
And this happens in our families. This happens uh, at work, right? This is, and this is connected to the teaching on confession, right? How do you know what sins to confess? Well, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, right? A, a child, a worker, right? Because that's where you're, that's where you're committing your sins. That's also then, oftentimes, where you need to receive forgiveness from the actual people you've you've sinned against. So, what a privilege it is as Christians to be those who get to bear witness to the mercy of God in Christ Jesus and forgive forgive people their sins. It's wonderful. Now, I would also add then, what? Why then the pastor? Right. Well, what happens if you have a a husband married to a non-Christian? Or what happens in a, in a situation where there has been some terrible situation and the Christian has sinned, but the other per, this person he's sinned against won't actually forgive him or doesn't know Jesus? Where does that person go for forgiveness? Some of our listeners would know and would say real quickly, well, they, they can pray the, the Lord's Prayer, right? And, and this is a confession and a, an absolution. That's true. But the gospel is is to be spoken and heard to encourage and sustain faith. And so the Lord Jesus has instituted the office of the ministry to be the, the public proclaimer of the forgiveness of sins for the sake of the body of Christ. So when Christians gather together on Sunday and confess their sins, there is a person who has been placed there by God authorized by Christ to hear those confessions and to speak forgiveness in accord with God's will so that those people walk out knowing that whatever sins have been plaguing their conscience have been forgiven for the sake of Jesus. So both offices are essential to the church. The church, wherever the church exists, it includes both the office of pastor and the office of hearer or Christian. I wanted then, as you've taught us so well there, is the next and final question in the chief part of confession, where it says, and once again, page 27 of Luther's small catechism with explanation, what do you believe according to these words? I believe that when the called ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, in particular when they exclude openly unrepentant sinners from the Christian congregation and absolve those who repent of their sins and want to do better, this is just as valid and certain, even in heaven, as if Christ our dear Lord dealt with us himself. Pastor, I want to I ask it this way. Often, when you will go to church and you will hear these words in the confession absolution piece, a part of the worship service, that it happens and it, it kind of just happens. Like there's no um, bells and whistles. Typically, there's no like sound of the trumpet. Mm -hmm. There's no, um, you know, fireside or something like that. And, and whatever it might be, it just kind of happens and you move on. So we can easily feel like there's nothing happening. But what is actually happening? The Lord God is making his 
divine decree public. His divine decree of the forgiveness of sins. The sinner is being justified, that is, declared to be innocent before God, while the devil points his accusing finger, right? Satan accuses the sinner of being guilty of everything under the law of God and, and worthy of hell, which is true according to the law. The Lord Jesus has atoned for that sin, shed his blood to cover it, and so where sins are confessed, the Lord God has declared that those sins will be forgiven, and that when those sins are forgiven, it's not an earthly judgment. No, he says those sins are forgiven in heaven. So that what we believe is, in, is that God's heavenly decree is being sounded forth, and it's, and it's true, which is why then the people respond with a hearty amen, right? Now, it's also true, right, because there's two keys, that in the unfortunate circumstance where you have impenitence, and a pastor, typically in private, has to actually inform a person that as long as you remain uh, denying your sin, I cannot forgive your sin. This is also true and certain, just as valid and certain even in heaven, as if Christ our dear Lord is dealing with that person himself. And this takes us back to that whole authority question that, that we began with, right? So a pastor must is only authorized to speak as Christ has given him to speak. And he can only declare forgiven those sins which are being confessed and must declare as unforgiven the sins which are being denied. And when he speaks this way, he is not speaking of his own accord, but is speaking the decree of the Lord. And in our confession absolution right, it does say, by his authority, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's I mean, right. it literally says that in there to very much so reflect exactly what you're saying. And this is something where, Pastor, you said this before, and I wanted to touch on it again, that first time in human history that God has given this responsibility to humans, <laughs> to a human being. And that really has struck me as I think about it is, what is God doing? You know, because he's, he's using pastors, people and their vocations to speak for him with our words that, you know, that we are never going to speak it with, <laughs> with clarity as he does, but yet he has given us this task to bind and to forgive sins and that is, what is God doing? Any, any, how do you want to unpack that for us? Because it is something that boggles a mind when you, re, when you realize what is actually happening and he has chosen us to do it. Yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, quite, quite simply, this is the way that the Lord has chosen to, to save sinners. This is the way the Lord has 
chosen to care for souls through the application of law and gospel, right? So that sins would be, sinners would be called to repentance when they are caught in their sin, when they are living in sin, when they are committing sin. On the other hand, when they know their sin, they're forgiven and, and given the peace that passes all understanding in the proclamation of the gospel. This is, uh, as Lutherans, we, we rejoice in Article 4 and 5 of the Augsburg Confession that we are justified freely for the sake of Christ when we believe that our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Well, how does a person receive such faith, or how is such faith obtained by people in real time and real place? Well, it's through the ministry of preaching and administering the sacraments. And so it's it's a profound mystery that the Lord desires to work this way. But it's also a, a wonderful blessing. You see, it used to be when Jesus was walking on the earth, that to hear Jesus, to hear the, the word of the Lord, you had to kind of be where Jesus was speaking, right? Sometimes we don't we don't think about this, but and this is this is why when Jesus is speaking, his apostles defer to him when Jesus is there during his earthly ministry. It's not until he ascends into heaven and sends down the gift the Father had promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit, upon his apostles for the sake of preaching the gospel, baptizing sinners, and administering the Lord's Supper, that then that ongoing work of ministry has, has been given to men to carry out with his authority and empowered by his Spirit. But this is also why then, you know, we don't have to come up with our own words to speak. It's not as if we have to create something. No, he's actually given us the words to speak. So, in the stead and by the command of Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We simply, as pastors, are servants of the word that he has given. And this is why, as you referred, as you reminded us earlier, the, the liturgy is speaking back to the Lord the words that he's already given to us. So if you, if you say you have no sins, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. First John chapter 1. But if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this we find in settings 1 and 2 of the divine service. Um, or if you want to talk about baptism or the Lord's Supper, the, the pastor is a servant of the word and our confidence that the Lord is working through these means is in the words of Jesus themselves, right? It's, so when you baptize someone, you're not baptizing the person. Jesus is. It's his mm -hmm. word, right? And when we celebrate the sacrament of the altar, it's his word that gives us confidence to believe that sins are forgiven in the eating and the drinking.
right? Not just eating and drinking only, but the word Jesus. So also in absolution, it's the office of the keys. It's in, in the power and authority comes from the words of Jesus himself. This is a hard concept for us to realize, and it is something for even us as pastors to fully comprehend what is happening when we do, when we repeat, if you will, exactly what God has given us to give, because that's all we have is what God has already given to us, that it it becomes something that we don't um, appreciate because we we come in and, and you get into, well, it's just, you know, just you do this and then you do this and then you do that. At the same time, Thanks be to God that he works by his word <laughs> to accomplish such, such things, even though it doesn't make sense to us. And it's a hundred times more comforting. For example, that my father was my pastor and I was baptized in 1979, November 4th. And it's comforting to know that it wasn't really my dad baptizing me, but it was Christ himself. And that's comforting for me to think about that when I heard those sermons, that it was God working through that because I know my dad <laughs> and my dad knows me. My wife knows me when I'm standing up front that if it was about me, well, there'd be a tons of everyone in the room knows, well, that guy, you know, I don't know, buddy, you got to step it up a notch, which it points us always back to Christ. And that is something that is very clear in the office of the keys, that this is Christ working through his church. Pastor, why is that such an important reality for us to remember in the church today, well, of all ages, but especially for our listeners today? Well, I think, I think it's where we have certainty so that we can, we can trust the certainty of Christ's own word. We're not guessing about this. This isn't sort of a wishful thinking. But our faith is as good as the object of our faith. And so it's entirely certain because the object of our faith is Jesus Christ himself, who is risen from the dead, who paid the price for our sins and declares sinners justified for his sake. I would also say that with regard to the binding key, this is also important to remember that that the church should only call sinful what Christ our Lord calls sinful. So we're not going to make up sins. We're also not going to stand in the judgment seat of God apart from where he himself has spoken. Jesus has some things to say about those who would, who would uh, take on the judgment of God. No, in fact, we are speaking God's own judgment when we simply declare what he himself has already declared to be true. And in that regard, pastors and people alike submit to Christ, understand properly the authority they're given when we bind ourselves to his word. So, we must call sin what he has called sin, and we must only call sin what he has called sin, right? But on the other hand, 
we joyfully get uh, to pronounce forgiveness where he says sin is forgiven. And what, an, what a privilege that is to do pastors for the people, but the people for the world, right? And, and to bring the light of the gospel uh, in, in, into homes and communities and, and places of work where it otherwise might not go. Um, Pastor Finner, when I was ordained, my vicarage supervisor, Ralph Blumenberg, preached on Romans mm-hmm. 10. Mm-hmm. I'll, ne- mm-hmm. I'll never forget this sermon. Now, he knew that uh, I was someone who had lots of different kinds of shoes, okay? I played baseball. I played softball. During vicarage, I bowled. I had black dress shoes. I had brown dress shoes. I had tennis shoes. I had basketball shoes. I had, you know, whatever. I had lots of shoes. And he, yeah. and he, why am I talking about shoes now? Because he used that as, as, as an analogy to understand Paul's words in Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, right? And now the pastor does that, and he does it in certain places. But even a pastor who has lots of shoes can't walk where all Christians are called to go. And this is the beauty of how the Lord has ordered his church and given vocation to all Christians to then take this good news of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins into their own homes and places of work. They have even more shoes than I do. You know, they get to take the gospel into places that I don't get to go. And so this this idea of the, the office of the keys being given to the whole church and not just the pastor, not just the people, even though we do understand the offices as being distinct from one another, the, the beauty is that then they, they carry it out according to their offices for the benefit of uh, of those they've been called to serve. And it, it's just marvelous. And I, I'll never forget, the, you know, Pastor Blomenberg has, has sort of helped me in thinking about my service to the congregation, but then how the Lord is actually extending the light of Christ through the people where he has called them as well. Pastor, with about four minutes left in our time, I do want to break down a little bit on how you've seen the Office of the Keys uh, uh, used. It, 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 you, you talked about the home, and this very clear in that, right? I mean, as, as a spouse, I mean, how many times do we need to repent? And as parents, we need to repent. And as children, and we, we, we I think we can grasp that. But can you kind of break down in the next three, three or four minutes about community? And, to see this at play in people's daily vocations, um, even outside the home. Do you have anything on that? I do. In fact, uh, just this past Sunday, I was I was asked a really good question from one of my members in adult Bible class. We, we've been studying the Office of the Keys. And he said, Pastor, I think we understand this when we're relating to our spouse, our Christian spouse, and the need to forgive. Also, we're going to hear it from the pastor when we come. He said, but, but what about my my unchristian colleague or, you know, the person who isn't sorry for what they've done, right? 
And I think this is this is a, a difficulty and something we need to to, to think about. The, like we we are the Christian is called to love all people, to love even our enemies, and to pray for those who persecute us. But I I do think this is something we've sometimes misunderstood. That we're not actually required by Christ to pronounce forgiveness to a person who refuses to see, to confess, or to admit his sin. This this happens sometimes, like in, in the case of, of abuse or infidelity, or or just, you know, you you've gone to a person, you know you've wronged them and your conscience is stricken, so you've gone and you've apologized, and they 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 do not even know what forgiveness is. They do not know how to forgive you, right? Or they're unwilling to forgive you. Uh, well, that's the place of the pastor. But it also, if, if someone, on the other hand, d- doesn't know to confess their sins, or they uh, they deny their sins, the Christian isn't called to say, "Well, you're forgiven anyway." Are they died for by Jesus? Yes. Did his blood, was his blood shed for the forgiveness of all those sins? Yes, absolutely. Objectively, they are died for by Jesus and loved by Christ. But is that person who denies his or her sin justified before God? No, because they don't have faith. And, and I think this is, this is helpful because, you know, it, in a painful situation where, like, uh, infidelity has occurred or something like that, right? And, and the person has destroyed the marriage and left and, and been re- remarried uh, with with a to a woman or a, a man that they have uh, committed adultery with, and has has not confessed and been reconciled. We're not required to say, well, I forgive you for the sake of Christ. No, in fact, such a person's sins will be held against them because they have not repented. And, and this is part of the binding key that, that we need to talk about a little bit um, so that the Christian, I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not simply going out and saying every person is forgiven before God in Christ whether they have repentance or not. But on the other hand, when, when a person has a friend or a colleague or, or, or a neighbor who, who has begun to see their sin and is sorry for their sin, that's when we have the great privilege of then pronouncing forgiveness for the sake of Christ and then even inviting them, come and hear this good news with me every Sunday. This is what our pastor preaches. And, and you'll hear this very clearly in our church, the love of God in Christ in the forgiveness of sins. Pastor Greg Truey of Trinity Lutheran Church in Cole Camp, Missouri, clearly confessing the truth of the Office of the Keys. Pastor Truey, thank you for your faithful teaching here on Concord Matters. Thanks for having me. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe. Oh, 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 oh,